0: 日本史学習に最高のリモンコールサイトサムライアーカイブスポッドキャストへようこそ。美しい自然に溢れてる縄文時代から華らん万丈な幕末まで全時代を網羅して日本史の隅から隅まで一緒に語り合いましょう。では早速日本史の世界へ。Yes.
1: Welcome back to the Samurai Archives Podcast. Uh, today we'll be talking about uh, Sankin Kōtai. The alternate attendance system in Edo period, Japan, which was extremely influential and very exciting. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Of course. So, uh, right, so this time it's uh, I'm Travis, uh, i here as usual with Nate and Chris. Hello. Hi. And, and Joseph, the, the, the rare and elusive Joseph. Hey, there has been a Joseph sighting. Um, so sankin kōtai is one of the uh, one of the main sort of defining features of the of the of Edo the period of Tokugawa shogunate's uh, system of ruling the country, right? Under the uh Bakuhan taisei or the, the shogunate and domain system. I mean, I guess what they what they usually say, what scholarship usually says, is that one of the main reasons for putting this into place was to um, keep the domains, keep the daimyo under control, right? Mm-hmm. And so our listeners know exactly what we're talking about here. Define sankin kōtai so that they get an image of what was, exactly is happening. Okay, I was getting it, but oh. yes. So, right. So what it was was that basically once every few years, once every three or five years, depending on which domain you were, each domain had to, each daimyo had to travel to, all the way to Edo to the, to the shogun's capital. Um, and spend time in Edo and so they call it alternate attendance because basically each diner had to spend half his time in Edo and half his time back home um, while key members of his family stayed in Edo all the time uh, especially his wife and his heirs right Right. and so this was basically served sort of two main purposes from the shogunate's point of view um, I guess uh, if we were to sort of simplify it and, and boil it down Number one, um, by forcing the daimyo to not be in his domains half the time, he can't sort of gather up an army, gather up resources, and sort of, um, you know, this way it, it, it separates him from his base of power. Mm-hmm. Uh, secondly, because the, the journeys to Edo and back, and maintaining a mansion in Edo and all of these kinds of things were extremely expensive, um, it also helped keep the daimyo... Um, from amassing too much wealth. And a lot of this was, there was a lot of pomp and circumstance to the actual
2: trip itself too, right? Which would have been an additional drain on the bombing.
1: Right. Because each daimyo, you know, had to um, maintain their own pride, their own prestige, and nobody, um, you know, it's it's not even something that's imposed by the shogunate, it's each daimyo would individually want to, you know, be seen as uh, showing off his wealth, showing off his power, not not uh, being seen as uh, uh, lesser in any way. So he, he wants to create as much common circumstance for himself as he can. So, and I think, I mean, you'll see this in samurai movies, you'll see this a lot of times, you'll see this in, in uh, ukiyo-e prints and landscape prints, mm-hmm. you'll very often see the daimyo um, uh, you know, marching along the roads, particularly the tokaido, but basically everywhere. This is one of the main things the highway system was used for, I think. In, in any kind of general survey course, history of history of East Asia or something like this, they'll usually talk about sankin-kotai as one of the main defining features of the Edo period and they'll say it was established towards the very beginning of the Edo period and it sort of gives the impression like as if it was there from the beginning, from 1600 or 1603 or something um, but in fact it was implemented relatively slowly um, I mean yeah, so uh, there really wasn't a uh, this alternate attendance was not mandated upon the daimyo until the 1630s, actually, and I think the tozama daimyo were required to do it as of 1639, hmm. and, the, uh, and that, that the tozama daimyo were the more powerful lords in hmm. the further reaches, um, people who were not loyal to Tokugawa at the time of Sekigahara, right? right, and people who. It includes some people who, who were really either too geographically distant or too powerful for the Shogunate to really compel believe, to, to really compel to do anything. Really, right? Um, and we'll get later on, we will eventually get to why Satsuma earned all kinds of wonderful exceptions because Satsuma is crazy awesome like that. Um, yeah, they're gangster. Well, Satsuma had they got exceptions from the Shogunate for all kinds of things because um, they were one of the most powerful. Uh, 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 clans and they were really, really far away, yeah, so basically it was like if you want to make us do it, you can send an army all the way down to Kyushu, but
2: yeah they're too too isolated to really coerce effectively
1: yeah so um, right so that 's the Tozama daimyo, and then three years later, sixteen forty two the Fudai daimyo, who are um, those that were loyal to Tokawa at the time of Sekigahara, who were more trusted um, th- those who were they were um, required you alternate attendance as of 1642. So, But prior to that, um, it was not really mandated. Um, but what I find interesting, actually, is that the other thing is that people talk about it being um, a new system, you know, kind of unprecedented or whatever, and maybe somehow you get the impression that... I wish I had brought like a, I don't know, like Sansom or somebody else to see how he describes it, but I feel like the impression I was always given an undergrad or something. Mm-hmm. So this is like a new system that showmate came up with, it was brilliant, and you know, but actually, it had been done before, right? So, right.
3: Well, I, I think that's the way it's presented uh, in, especially well, like you mentioned Samsung and some of really the older uh, English language scholarship, but, right? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's fairly obvious that if you if you look in deeper into um,
1: certain aspects, that it's a refinement, so to speak, right. of, of what. What occurred earlier. Yeah, I mean, if, if you look at Robert Sakai, who was the leading scholar in English about uh, Satsuma, mm-hmm. Sakai says that basically the Sakin Kotai system was adopted by the shogunate from what Satsuma was already doing. Right. Forcing their retainers within, uh, within, Satsuma, right. Right. within mm-hmm. Satsuma and Osumi, uh, forcing their retainers to travel back and forth to Kagoshima City um, and sort of doing these kind of similar things. Well, and I think even on the national level,
3: I mean, Hideyoshi required every, you know, his major uh, subordinate daimyo to maintain right. residences in Kyoto. Right. Um, when he was at the uh, mm. uh, so you know the 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 system of having to maintain dual residency uh, in both your own fiefdom and then in wherever the capital was.
1: Was. Right. was was not new either no I mean it was actually goes all the way back to Kamakura and Ashikaga uh, shogunates. that um, says here in uh, Constantine Papyrus' or wonderful book Tour of Duty as you can see because um, I'm showing it to the recorder um, <laughs> great, great podcast great <laughs> podcasting. yeah um, now Tour of Duty came out a couple well came out back in 2008 but feels newer I don't know um, that's relatively new. Relatively new. Uh, basically, the best book, I mean, the most extensive coverage of San Kotai in English thus far. Um, it's kind of amazing that nobody's done it before. But uh, Anyway, but yeah, Vaparous writes that um, a key component of, this, of the Kamakura shogunate system of vassal services was that the, requir- was the requirement that its housemen perform guard service, depending on their place of residence, in you know, either Kyoto or Kamakura, for varying lengths of time. And the Ashikaga Shogunate um, had similar uh, alternate attendance to Kyoto um, that was mandated upon the Shugodaimyo. So, right. 16, oh, 1635 for Tozama and 1642 for Fudai. Sorry. Whatever. But that's one of the things I find really interesting, is that there's, and we can talk about all kinds of other phenomenon, but, there's so many things that define the Edo period that didn't come about until the 1630s. Mm. So you have about 30, 30 years, basically the entirety of Ieyasu's reign and sort of going into Hidetata's and I think, basically the entirety of Ieyasu and Hidetata's reigns, right? Mm. So a lot of the stuff was put, was put into place under Ieyamitsu, and I don't know that much about the individual shoguns and what their personality was or whatever, but I kind of wonder how much of this is somehow E.A. Mitsu's like, personal plans, his ideas, his desires, rather than some kind of more overall, like, this is what the shogunate planned, this is what E.A. Asu wanted all along and just didn't get around to doing it, or something. Mm-hmm. Was, it, was it touched on in the book? Or? Not really. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, Vakras spends a lot more time on sort of the cultural side of uh, which I think is, that's, I'm a cultural historian, this is the kind of thing I love. It goes into a lot of detail about What people carried with them on the processions, what people did while they were in Edo, you know, all these kinds of things, and really, you know, tying it into the fact that we usually we often think about the Edo period as being that all the provincial culture sort of gathered and mingled in Edo, Hmm. and that Edo was made made into this really cosmopolitan place. But he's basically arguing that it goes the opposite direction just as much, which I think makes perfect sense. Um, So basically, since they're always going
2: to They're also bringing
1: back culture to their local areas, right? And and since Edo culture is not just Edo culture, but it's provincial culture, you're bringing back things from other provinces. So it's really connecting up the whole country. Hmm. Um, You know, people from Akita will bring certain things to Edo, bring their culture, bring whatever their goods, their products, and then somebody from Kumamoto might buy that in Edo and bring it back to Kumamoto. So you're really sort of exchanging things back and forth.
2: So does this uh, sort of help the argument that there was an actual national consciousness at this point?
1: That would be my argument, um, but I mean we could debate it endlessly, I'm sure, as we already have been on the forum already. Right. Sure. Um, <laughs> so let's we'll see if, But that's that's. I, I would totally argue that as a major point, part of that.
2: Um, yeah. Definitely. So what was the effect on uh, popular culture in the Edo period of these sunken kotai trips, as far as? art and entertainment and then yeah. the actual culture
1: culture. Well, it's interesting that the um, the processions themselves and anything sort of directly related to Sankinkotai does not appear in popular culture very much.
2: Hmm.
1: Probably because of the way the shogunate frowned upon um, any kind of representations of official officialdom, depictions of the samurai Right, classes. because it could possibly be in some way Critical of right them so right but you, yeah exactly any kind of depiction could be perceived as critical so they don't depict it so yeah so it's interesting I mean they do appear if you look at like landscape prints you'll see people walking on the road <laughs> they do appear but you don't really see like sort of whole books devoted to for example I mean I've been doing all this research about the Ryukyu processions right, right. and people are super excited to see foreigners and the Shogunate is totally for that, yeah, you know, they want people to see the foreigners. They want to see the foreign. They want people to see the foreigners, ex- uh, you know, coming to give tribute in submission to the shogunate because it helps benefit the shogunate. But um, but you don't see, and so people would see them, and they would publish whole books about the ryukyu processions or the Korean processions. But nobody really publishes books about the Daimyo processions, partially also, I guess, because they were so common. I mean, mm-hmm. you've. Especially if, you're, if you live in Edo, if you're a commoner living in Edo, you see these people coming and going all the time. All the time. If you live anywhere along the Tokaido, you see them coming, coming and going all the time. So, it's so it
2: wasn't really an event. People wouldn't be standing out watching these processions go by. them.
1: Right. And you couldn't really watch them anyway, because as soon as you saw them, you'd have to uh, kowtow to the ground until they passed.
2: True. Unless you're 60, 70, 80 feet away watching from the distance or whatever. True, true.
1: Um, peeking out from a, from from behind a wall or, or right. behind a, tree, <laughs> a building, <laughs> right? Or unless you're, you know, a, an obnoxious British merchant who refuses to get out of the road, and then get you well, get killed, so you know, <laughs> and loses his head. So, but uh, oh, right. But anyway, so but I think we were talking about in terms of topical culture. I don't. I mean, yeah, just in general. I think that this was a huge. It, I think that *Sonic the had a huge effect on. The dissemination of popular culture. Mm.
2: But it, the it's processions true. themselves didn't, then, because they're just so no. common that no one really. Right. But they must have made, uh, uh, let's say, plays that involved processions, or, or. I'm not sure. Even if it's just something that's kind of happening, or. No, normally in, in entertainment, you're going to have, like, if it's something is so common, it's
1: going to be involved somehow, I would think. Right, right. You know. And since it appears so much in samurai movies, you'd think that it would also appear earlier in other entertainment. Yeah. I don't know.
3: Hmm. seems to have been at some point um, certainly, it, I mean, there's certainly lots of prints and, you know, artwork
1: depicting Yeah, I mean, if there wasn't, then we wouldn't have a cover for the book or, Right, yeah. so, but, so at some level it was, but Yeah, at some level it was, but somehow not quite so much I guess, I don't know but, um but Vapris really emphasizes the extent to which Edo was so heavily uh, a samurai city. I mean, 10% of the population, I think he said 10% of the population of the city was some kind of servants or, or retainers to Daimyo. Um, and these servants would, you know, obviously they had all kinds of duties, but then they also had free time, and they would go out into the city and buy books and buy goods from all over, pro- all over other provinces um, and he goes into crazy wonderful detail about like, exactly how much money the average servant would have and what they would spend it on right. um, and what they would bring back but so I think that in terms of that just in terms of thinking about how rangaku or kangaku or anything ukiyo-e um, got disseminated across the country this I mean this is a major part of it this is a huge major part of it people would come from all over the place come to Edo and find a Dutch telescope. Ooh, a telescope, new and exciting, you know. And they would buy it. They would bring it back, and people would, you know, learn what it is. And so it's, you know, or or certain famous actors, certain famous uh, artists, you know. Oh, I got the latest Utamaros when I was in town, you know. I would also think that it would have quite an effect on bringing things from
3: outside Edo to Edo, like absolutely. You know, somebody bringing Mekon from. Satsuma or from you right, know, right. Shkoku or something yeah. and giving and that, access giving people in other different regions you know mm-hmm. it like somebody from Tohoku might come to Edo they're not going to go all the way to Satsuma because
1: let not know what they would do but they would be exposed to things from Satsuma by so coming to Edo Absolutely. So, and members of the procession is to say you know servants footmen whatever um, were allowed a certain amount of of their chest their cargo to be, Personal, personal, items. Book, personal yeah. items, and also personal items for sale, hmm. specifically, like a certain amount was allowed to be. But anyway, there's nine. Uh, I don't remember how many Han there were exactly, over a hundred, maybe a couple hundred. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Some daimyo had multiple uh, mansions, and somehow or other it adds up to 900 to 1,000 daimyo compounds in the city of Edo, taking up roughly 70% of the city. Wow. Yeah. So...
2: Were there any examples? Well, so now that we know uh, so, what it was, and well, let me, let me just finish with. What I, I just noticed a oh, Yeah.
3: So a- according to the internet, there were um, mm-hmm. the number varied,
1: but there were typically around three Han. Thank you. So yeah, um, *Tour of Duty* page one hundred and thirty-one. On the land grants closest to the Shogun's castle, the daimyo built compounds referred to as the upper residence, Kamiyashiki. These were the main residents of the lords, also known as Iyashiki, or the place in which he actually lived, Iru no, and their immediate families, chief officials, and many of their retainers. And this also would function as the domain's chief um, headquarters or administrative center in Edo. But then they would also have sort of secondary mansions, which are not really described here. And then he goes into comparisons to London, because that obviously makes so much sense to us Americans to compare things to London. Secondary or middle compounds, Nakayashiki, were built at some distance from the castle, and their function was more fluid um, relative to the upper and lower yashiki. So, yeah. So I mean, you'd have different ones, right? These Kamiyashiki, Nakayashiki, and then Shimayashiki in different parts of the city, uh, uh, functioning a certain pur- uh, you know different purposes. Shimayashiki were a little bit more like vacation retreats or villas. So
2: now that we know sort of what this was, why it was done, right. uh, and then it was mandated. Were there any examples given, or are there any examples where someone refused to aside from Satsuma, and then there was some sort of punitive expedition taken out to to
1: sort of force them into it or punish them for not going? Or I don't recall any examples of that actually. I mean, it, it, I think you're right. I mean, it seems strange that everyone, all the time, would just agree, you know. But, um, yeah, I mean, Satsuma... Uh, Satsuma went and performed their duty and while they were in Edo the lord you know, requested because of our great distance and whatever um, you know, can, we, can we do this once every five years instead of once every three years or once every three years instead of every two years or whatever it was and um, Satsuma also you know, asked for exceptions to, uh, I think Satsuma was the only domain that was permitted an exception to the one castle per domain rule, hmm. so Satsuma had a gazillion castles Mm-hmm. There were we did come across
2: uh, a couple areas that were given leniency on sunken go. That was Nagasaki, one of them because of their harbor duty. Yes, yeah, several of the. Oh, right, yeah, right. several, several of the places, um,
3: not just Nagasaki, but but uh, which I think was what omura Yeah, um, oh, well, the se- several of the han in northern Kyushu because they had right um, right. You know Obligations to defend Nagasaki Harbor, and that cost money because they had to pay. Supposedly, it was supposed to cost money because they were supposed to pay for fortifications, which they generally didn't, uh, but they were given
1: exceptions. Right, I think it was mainly Saga Han and Fukuoka Han, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And then there's also Matsumae Han. I was going to mention that too, yeah. Matsumae Han did not actually hold land that was given to them by the Shogunate. It was kind of a completely, they didn't have a, what's it called, Kokutaka? The, Co- yeah, um, yeah, um, kokodaka. Thank you. Matsumaya didn't actually have a kokodaka. They're a very strange Han right. in that respect. So I'm not sure if they performed So they just had
2: fish and bearskins, is
1: so. um, I think they.
3: Yeah. I think they um, must a must lot have. of it. Like, I think you know, they must Iron have. and various other trade with uh, the Ainu, but they were actually discouraged. Uh, the Matsumaya clan uh, discouraged rice production in their domain because. They didn't want to. One of the main commodities that they traded with the Ainu was rice, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so they didn't want to um, give them the means of producing it and thereby
2: devalue their um, ability to do so. I was under the impression, ah, no, that... exceptions. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. but uh, for Joseph though, is it? Says, uh, I remember there was a point where above a certain area in Japan, rice growing really wasn't feasible or
0: didn't really happen mm-hmm. all that much. Is that part of it? Well. Climate-wise, uh, basically above Sendai, there's been um, archaeologically limited rice production, but uh, there are, basically in the, there are several waves of Yayoi culture and, and rice production that swept across the archipelago, and in uh, actually early, late early Yayoi to uh, middle Yayoi, to um, the most northern parts of, of Honshu, the main island of Japan, actually you see rice growing villages there, with the same Neatly laid out grid system that you see in Kyushu, so you see you don't see um, any tech real technological drop and so You know the first wave rushes up there and the tide you know draws back and it goes below send basically Sendai Speaking very generally was that because of the, of the difficulties of producing rice up there or it, it very well could be um, simply climate-based or it could be the fact that the um, the hunter-gatherer culture there was, um, means enough by itself, but more and more um, there, you know, historians and archaeologists are looking at the possibility that the Ainu were more um, culturally advanced, technologically advanced than we've been long led to believe. So, um, you know, trying to keep rice technology, rice growing technology out of the Ainu hands is trying to, you know, not giving them a leg to stand on, really ties into the late Edo expansionist policies and the, the dehumanizing, the demonizing policies, trying to get, um, cause, you know, once you once you dehumanize or demonize a people, it's very easy then to annihilate them and take over their land. So, um, it's you know, I think that's a very political reason nested <laughs> in there. Um, you were mentioning exceptions.
1: Oh, yeah. So, first of all, so, most of the Daimyo did actually alternate every, it's, it's every two years, it's every other year. Um, and, which kind of makes sense, and um, other, some other groups, certain, certain hatamoto, or certain people who are not daimyo, also had to perform alternate attendance, which I thought was interesting. Um, neighboring, uh, uh, and, and all of the daimyo were basically divided into even years and odd years, right? You know, mm-hmm. Which ones, which year do you travel in? And so you, so basically that's so that they're not overriding the city Well, that, but also so you're not sort of emptying entire regions at once uh, okay. or something. So basically, neighboring uh, Han mm-hmm. would, would not be traveling in the same year. So Awa and Tosa were not performing alternate yeah. attendance at the same time. Mm. Uh, and uh, Saga and Fukuoka did perform alternate attendance, but never at the same time. And their period, uh, their period of residence in Edo was reduced to only 100 days, so they could get back um, to perform their duty right. uh, of coastal defense. The, the So clan from Tsushima, similarly, because of the distance, because they lived on a separate island, whatever, they only had to make the trip once every three years, and they only had to stay in Edo for four months. Matsumae also was only four months and once every five years. Yeah. Um, Uh, Certain clans, such as uh, the Lord of Mito, was given the status of Jofu, or permanently stationed in the capital, so you didn't actually have to go anywhere, you didn't have to actually perform uh, Sankinkotai at all, and various other sort of senior counselors, junior counselors, magistrates. Temporary reprieves were given as well um, when there was a foreign crisis, so uh, when the Russians decided to show up in Nagasaki, Saga and its various branch domains were given exceptions for brief times. So, um, yeah, so it's all very, you know, it's not 100% sort of, this is exactly how it was. It was all different kinds of exceptions. And it was, you know, and it was very specified as to exactly which months it traveled into. So. Can you tell us a little bit about the, um, what the actual process
3: of, of traveling? Maybe we've talked a little bit about yeah. about it, but you know, was it regulated in terms of how many people they were supposed to bring, and where they stayed, I mean, because this yeah. is obviously, you know, right. today you can get from Fukuoka to Tokyo in, you know, eight hours on the bullet train, or maybe it's even six now, depending right. on how fast they've, they've gone, but obviously right.
1: they didn't have that then, so it took a lot longer. Right, right. Um, Vaprus goes into some wonderful detail about every aspect of that, and I don't have it all, sort of written out, I mean I didn't take, take notes that clearly so I don't remember that much of it but it is it is all very specified and um, and I don't think that it was 100% mandated by the shogunate, you have to bring this many people or anything like that but it was sort of, the daimyo chose upon their own, you know, that they wanted to bring a certain number, the larger your procession, the more your um, um, prestige, right or just what's practically useful to help run your mansion while you're there, things right. like that um, of course, certain senior counselors would always be left behind mm-hmm. so that somebody was running the domain while the... Um, while the, well, the was, was, was in Edo. Yeah. And I believe, if I remember correctly, the heir usually... Never mind. I was going to say the heir switched places with the dynamics. they were never in the same place with each other. But I think the heir might have just stayed in Edo. I forget. Um, but anyway... So yeah, there were all kinds of things like that, and and the Daimyo intentionally trying to make their processions more um, fancy, for lack of a better word, Um, and there was one whole thing about exactly, um, I don't know, just sort of at certain points in the procession, if you have your guys carrying a certain number of spears, that indicates your level, Mm -hmm. Um, only Tohgal family and you know and the Gosanke other sort of branch Tohgal families were allowed to have four spheres. The most powerful Tozama daimyo were allowed three spheres. Everybody else could only carry two spheres. That was sort of an indication. Interesting. Um, and then there was also just sort of the the number of treasure. Uh, not no, I was going to say treasure chests, but the number of chests of goods the number of you know, gold, uh, you know, gold decorated lacquer chests that you're carrying with you and various other kinds of signs like that definitely you know, had, a, had a role. And um, in terms of routes, I think most, um, most domains followed a similar route. I mean, there, there were sort of very standard routes for right? what you had to do. Right. And most of them, uh, I'm just going to talk about Western Japan because I don't really know exactly how things went in, for example, Tohoku. But if you're coming from anywhere in Kyushu, Shikoku, um, basically you'd take a boat to Osaka um, and then take the, uh, the Tokaido from there. Okay. So <laughs> somebody from
3: Kyushu wouldn't hop on a boat and just go as far as, like, say, uh, Hiroshima area or whatever and then hop no. on the no. Yodo and then go. They'd no. go directly to Osaka.
1: Right, there. right. So if you're coming from, from Fukuoka, you'd go through the straits. Right. Yeah, into the the Inland seas, seas, Right. And then Osaka. Why
3: wouldn't they just take a boat to Edo? Was there any purpose, I guess, is what I'm asking, in not allowing
2: people to do it? Yeah, was the march part of the process, I guess, part of the what they're supposed to spend money on? That was a really good question. Uh, That was my impression, was part of the whole thing is that they...
1: Yeah, because it costs money. Yeah, they they do that to use up their money, so... Yeah, and also just because I guess boats were not... Um, maybe they didn't have enough ships, or I'm not sure. Um, but in any case, they did. Um... The other question you had was about like how they stay and where they stay and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, obviously, we have these uh, post towns, right? Right. Um, I mean, right, each station of the Tokaido, and each one would have a, a hunjin where um, the daimyo and his immediate people would stay, and then sort of additional inns and temples and other places. Uh, and what's the word? Is it waka honjin waki honjin. Waki, honjin? waki honjin. waki honjin. Okay. Waka, so waka. Separate. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Standing on the side, like yeah. a waki. On in. the side. Yeah. Right. If um if like the, the waki in in no, because that's what I know of.
3: For the for the Sorry. listeners, if you um, Sorry. check out the wonderful book uh, Japanese End by Oliver Staller. Oh yeah. It's, it's um, I, I, I mean it. it's dated, but. Yeah, it's, it's been still mentioned before on this podcast. Really good read. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, it's really, really, really interesting, and he covers all, all that sort of from the from the standpoint of the inn, not so much the travelers, but um,
1: yeah, he looks of a particular. Inn. One scholar posits that the use of boat transport decreased after the mid Tokugawa period because of uncertainty and delays caused by un- unpredictable winds and tides. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's interesting. Consequent problems securing adequate food and water. Right, if you're walking on the road, you can stop and get new food and water. Right, right. right. Um, and uh, the improvement of post station and road facilities in Kyushu and Western Honshu. My, the thought I had to have looking at it from a political control standpoint
3: is that you know if. If somebody from Kyushu is coming to my capital by boat, I don't necessarily have control over when they get there. Right. I can't monitor when they're getting there. Right. Um, whereas if they are coming by road from Osaka, then I have notice of their progress. I can keep track of That's it. Interesting point. Uh, it may or may not be anything relevant, but that was the first thing that I thought
2: of. Plus, like you said, they want to show off their their power. So if they're marching with their spears and their long,
1: right, long, right. long
2: procession and mm-hmm. all that—they're showing off their yeah. their greatness. Yeah, and so. like I, yeah, and
1: like I was saying, um, like I was guessing, and now I'm sort of confirming by looking in the book. Um, it costs a lot of money to maintain a fleet. So, you know, some daimyo who are more coastal maybe had larger fleets. Some daimyo, such as Satsuma, maybe had the money to maintain larger fleets. But for the most part, cost a lot of money to maintain a fleet of ships. And that's, that's, that's true. So that's sort of part of it. Although it was interesting, it says here that as of, for example, seventeen ninety one, and maybe this happened at other times as well, the shogunate actually encouraged people to take ships more mm-hmm. um, and not to do like you were saying of sort of landing at Shimonoseki and then walking along through all of the Chukoku region. What year was that you said? Seventeen ninety one. Huh. Um, does it does, does, does that me any a particular reason? It doesn't really say why, other than that the shogunate at that time, I mean their comment, the shogunate's edict or whatever, officially said that because facilities for sea travel are now well-developed, that you can or you should. But in any any case, whether they were going overland or by sea in western Japan, it says here that for strategic reasons, whatever those may be, they were not about to take their ships any further than Osaka, so they had to go to Osaka and then get on the road. which I'm assuming also maybe has something to do with protecting the coasts of the other provinces, right? Mm-hmm. We don't want Shimazu ships coming all the way to Issei or something. For, for, I don't know. They're afraid that Shimazu are going to take over Issei, but whatever. Um, and they, I guess they don't want too many daimyo ships coming into Edo Harbor. Maybe just, again, I'm A lot harder to control, I yeah. would think.
3: Not um, being a... I don't want to say not being a seafaring nation, because we know that you know, there was sea trade and, and so forth. But they weren't exactly a naval power at this time. So right. Right. the Tokugawa government would not exactly have had the ability to control... I mean, if they're traveling overland from Osaka, then they're going to pass through, especially like around uh, yeah. Kyoto and Nagoya, yeah. um, different areas that
1: were controlled by Tokugawa branch families. Yeah. I think this goes back to so what you were saying about... Keeping track of where people are and passing through, um, you know, different gates and, and checkpoints and things, right? Um, and like it says, I mean, even foreigners, the Koreans also went from Korea, went from you know, Busan to Tsushima and then around into, into Osaka, yeah. And they also walked, but then that is again because of the need to show off the Koreans as they, as they walk, right? Right, um, so but. He also goes into a lot of interesting detail about just sort of the, uns- the unwritten rules of the road. There were a lot of things that were not explicitly, or that were, at, there were sort of various levels, various degrees to which different things were explicitly Shogunal Edicts. Mm-hmm. But whether it, was at, whether it was officially mandated or not, people nevertheless walked on the left side of the road. Um, mm-hmm. Not on the right side, always on the left side. And, um, and there were no, no carts on the Gokaido, on the main roads, yeah. Okay. So um had to carry everything. What was the purpose
3: of walking on the left side of the road? Does he mention it? Sorry. Well it just it sounds like, you know, one of those things that you often hear samurai wannabe, the types talk about, you know, with the oh well, the sword was on the you know, like something out of, that that you, that you hear about sense Because uh, you the, know, the sword up. was on the right. Yeah, because the the, the sword the, was on the left. Yeah, yeah, the sword was on the left. So if they walked on the right side of the road, the sword would be in the middle of the road. And mm-hmm. if two samurai passed each other and their swords, never their scabbards touched, then they have, then to, they'd fight they'd to, have, the have to fight to the death or something <laughs> like that. So I was just wondering if he had anything that it, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, when you when you say it like that, it, it sounds. Pretty ridiculous, you know, taking it as far as, as that. But yeah, yeah, there
1: could be something to it. Yeah. Well, let me see what we can find. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I'm I'm sorry. I don't I don't see it. It's a it's a very good question. Sure. It's, no, it's okay. Um, yeah, we usually aren't prepared. Yeah,
3: I mean, I, I think
1: just time. mentioning it as a
3: you know, I mean, I can see it certainly being a courtesy thing. Like you don't want to, you know, bump people, and so it puts your Right, self out of the way in a more convenient fashion, but you know that's the kind of thing that somebody like Clavel takes and runs with in ridiculous ways.
1: Right, and of course we have plenty of examples of dying, claiming sickness. Oh, I can't travel because I'm sick.
2: Yeah, I figure uh, sickness is kind of the standard in Japanese history. Like when I don't want to go somewhere, I say I'm sick. So I assume that's probably a pretty big thing with the uh... yeah. Yes, I'm oh, sick. Su- I
1: can't him su- for the next three weeks. Sugoroku. So going back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast, okay. about how processions were depicted in popular culture, right? Mm-hmm. Sugoroku game boards, right? Mm-hmm. Board games that depicted sort of places across the whole country, mm-hmm. you know, um, through the, the, to see, as it were, through the, the theme of alternate attendance. It's kind of like a, a shoots and ladders of diamond processions. Exactly. Wow. So, Candyland. Yeah. yeah. Right. So whether. I've yeah. ended on Tatsuma, I gave it gone. Exactly. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, right, so some games might actually sort of feature processions throughout the game, whereas other ones might be just like, you know, like you end on this spot and says, oh, time your procession. You have to lose a turn while you, you know, while, you, you, cow- while, you, while you bow down. While you kowtow, exactly. Yeah. You know, but, or, yeah. you know, whatever. Um, yeah yeah I think at some point it'd be really fun to actually look at some of these games and see what the actual sort of um, individual spaces say
0: mm.
1: well was it well
2: uh, well calculated were were they kept kept uh, using up their money but without being destitute or was it did it
1: get overdone or towards the end of the better period it total it definitely got to be um a, too much of a financial Didn't burden? they start to reduce it? Yeah, at
3: the, like, towards the very end. Yeah. Towards the very end, because yeah. it was just so much of a burden. And yeah. plus, they had the added obligations of uh, national defense. For, right. You know, right. British coming in and shelling random places kind of took uh,
1: some of the emphasis away. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I, I get the impression, this is not really based on anything in particular, but I get the general impression that. Um, At least sort of earlier on, sort of mid-Edo period, Mm -hmm. certain domains like Satsuma and Kaga had more than enough money and they were not in any way really... um, um, Financially affected. Right. But yeah, I mean, like we were saying about sort of the cultural exchange, about bringing things and getting things back, and uh, um, um, person in particular really points it out um, also that Bringing everybody to Edo was a civil, a quote-unquote civilizing force as well. Hmm. That whatever was going on in provinces, and I I don't want to say that anybody was quote-unquote barbaric or anything, or I I don't want to, I don't know what to assume about particular daimyo what their sort of local customs or upbringing were out in the boonies. But so long as people, the daimyo, their advisors, people were in Edo, watching, know and. I don't know, whatever, meeting with Rangaku scholars and just sort of having the experiences of being in the cosmopolitan city of Edo, um, there was sort of a, a civilizing force here. Theatrical performances, tea ceremony. Um, um, of course, the samurai, officially speaking, the samurai were supposed to prefer No and Kyogen, but they watched plenty of Kabuki and puppet theater as well. Yeah, tea masters, artists, painters. Yeah, I mean, there was plenty of commoner merchant action going on in the Edo period, transporting things back and forth. Mm-hmm. But um, but I, and I, I I don't know if we could even quantify sort of how much how much transport that was, how much goods transported compared to um, you know compared to this. But and I, and I would imagine that the merchants were actually a much more much more volume of goods transported. Sure. But sure. nevertheless, I think that this played a very important role you know in, in disseminating goods, products, things back and forth. I think it'd be interesting to look at it um,
3: compared to, you know, comparing those two things, the the samurai class and their servants moving back and forth and what they transported and, and, and brought versus merchants and right. they're actually, you know, in the movement of goods for economic purposes. Right. Um, but also, you know, a third thing. This is really the, 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 the Edo period really the first time that you have national tourism, right? Uh, mm-hmm. In terms of people, you know, going on pilgrimages to Issei or, or various other right, right. and not just religious tourism, but yeah. people actually traveling for the sake of traveling, right? So it'd be right. interesting to see how that because um, you know I've I've read things that talk about the the religious tourism, but that that's how you know they people would you know common people would go and be exposed to other things and other domains because they go to, to Issei right. or whatever. Right. Right. But they'd pass through all these other places and see all these other things mm-hmm. and then bring it back. And then that kind of increases the knowledge base of
1: their own local area. So it would okay. be interesting Excuse- to... Yeah. And of course, I mean, they're also transporting different things. And when you think about all these servants and retainers and whatever are obviously buying, quote unquote, you know, typical goods. Mm-hmm. Whatever they may be, Mekon, paper, whatever it may be, right. but um, so those are the, roughly the same things that merchants are transporting. But when it comes to manuscripts, paintings, uh, you know, certain ooh, seriously luxury items right. that were being presented to the Shogunate as gifts from the from the regions, or vice versa, or things like that, um, they are transporting different things to some extent as well. So you have the daimyo bringing back. You know, and there were plenty of, um, and just in terms of interactions in Edo, I mean, I'm thinking of, for one example, Hiraga Gennai, who's a Rangaku scholar, right? And if I remember correctly, Gennai was originally from, like, sort of the Hiroshima area. So uh, Hiraga Gennai was originally from Takamatsu. Um, but uh, in any case, he was in, he was in Edo. Doing rangaku, doing all kinds of things, and he met up with people somehow or other. He ended up meeting with people from Akita, um, who invited him to come all the way back to Akita with them and teach them how to paint in the Western style, oil painting. Hmm. And so, which sort of you know, which then um, gave birth to a whole sort of sub genre of painting, Akita Ranga, Akita, whatever Dutch painting. So. These kinds of interactions, I mean, constantly people coming and meeting with Confucian scholars, with Rangaku scholars, painters, who are meeting with each other um, and then taking things back and, and cultural exchange in that respect, was um, a major impact of Sankin Kotai. And I think that, again, just going back to the main political point of it. You know, I mean, that person makes the point that this is not the only time and place in history that this has happened. Other countries have done other similar kinds of things, but I don't know. It just sort of seems kind of brilliant to me to control the Danyo in this fashion by forcing them to uh, to spend so much time outside of their own base of power, their own um, domains, and um, and forcing them to spend so much money on these efforts. Um, and it just it had so many sort of side impacts, I mean, the, the, growth of the, in, the growth of the inns, right, in post towns, um, in order to accommodate people, uh, the, the daimyo were constantly traveling through. Um, you, can kind of, you can kind of imagine if there were no daimyo traveling through at all, and you were relying on whichever travelers, I mean, I guess there would still be merchants traveling relatively regularly. Um, but, you know, it wouldn't have, none of this would have developed as much. The highways, the post, uh, post towns, because um, of course, all of those things were also developed, you know, helped by the Shogunate in order to support the system. So it, it just it plays a really important role in sort of allowing all the cultural and economic developments of the Edo period to happen as well. So really, kind of a very winchpin key element. So uh, that wraps up our discussion
2: on sankin kōtai or alternate attendance during the Edo period. Thank you, Travis.
1: Thank you. And if you have any questions about it, we can definitely talk more about it. Give us your questions. I will look it up. We will sort of, you know, find out more actual individual things.
2: Yep. And uh, you can always reach us at uh, at Samurai Archives on Twitter or samuraipodcast at gmail.com. You can also reach Travis at at V on Twitter. Right. Uh, Joseph, what is your Twitter? I have no idea. They'll they'll be able to find it Okay, I'll, I'll link to it on the blog. I think I think it's N it Joseph O'Ryan? It better be. Okay. And how about you, Nate? How, how's your Twittering? Yeah.
3: Um I yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> not existing. I I don't I don't I don't do these things that the kids are doing these days. <laughs> I'm not on the Twitters. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the Twitters in the inner tubes. That's right. Look like, you're lucky you're lucky you can get me by email.
3: If anybody has any questions for me, they can contact us on the Samurai Archives message board. All okay. right,
2: Forums. Yeah, forums. so yes. other than that, uh, yeah, you can reach us at the forum and all those fun places, Samurai Archives, throw it in Google, you'll find it. But of course, everyone who's listening to this already knows, so other than that, um, join feel, us next time. Yes, feel free to give us five stars on iTunes. You're disgusting. In fact... <laughs> that is pretty shameless. <laughs> oh, of course. In fact, write us a, a glowing review, and that's even better.
1: Well, join us next time
2: when we well, wrote no. someone else off the island. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, and also support. feel free to support the podcast by going to the Summer Archives bookstore.
3: Bookstore. Uh, Tour
1: awesome. of Duty is amazing. You should buy it. Yes. Uh, that, that will and be if like you do Amazon. buy it, buy it
3: through the Samurai jack- you know, exact- Archives.
1: Yes, because yeah. you're not paying a penny more
2: for it, yet we do get a little cut here so that I can keep the lights on at our expensive uh, Samurai St. Carve studio here. Right. Yes. yes. And also there's of course the Cafe Press t-shirt shop with various prints.
1: Uh, I'm wearing one right now, in fact. Yeah. That's how great it is. really cool and, and not in any way cheesy stuff that says "Putting Kazan and things like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: but, uh, so yes, uh, support the podcast, please. And, well, I, I guess we will call this a day. So this is Chris for Travis, Nate, and Joseph, saying mahalo from the slightly rainy Manoa Valley in Honolulu, Hawaii. Goodbye. Bye. Guys.